to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome, friends. Welcome to the Shift Drink on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm Eddie Kim, proud DCist and pop-up fusion small plates fatigued bartender. Nice one. Uh, I'm Matthew Ramsey, wily coyote, dark arts dabbler, and hamburger horseman of the apocalypse. Kind of a mouthful. Uh, every week we uh, share a shift drink and swap war stories from behind the line with chefs, bartenders, bakers, brewers, and anyone who touches this all-encompassing industry. Uh, this week we're joined by wino extraordinaire, the formidable Jen Knowles, general manager of recently relaunched Mirabel, uh, former wine director of Plume and the Inn at Little Washington. Welcome. Hi, Jen. Thanks for Jen, your official title is actually, it's, it's general manager and wine director. And beverage director. And beverage director. Yeah, so I okay. oversee uh, the bar with uh, Zach Faden yes. and the wine program with our wine director, Carl Kuhn. Um, Jen, we, we first met at La Boom Brunch. Yes, we did. That was, <laughs> that was a day. That, that's what you're searching on your, on your computer. <laughs> I look over and he's, and he's looking at La Boom and I'm like, what the hell is he doing? Oh, I knew it was going to come. Like, I was... 99% sure that was going to be the lead off because it was a It was a day. day. Yeah, it was a day. I well, thought it turned into night. Yeah. But in hindsight, I realized I still got home not remembering it before night came. I think it was like, yeah, I think it was like a solid four o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jen, for our listeners who don't live in the district, please describe the, the mayhem that is La Boom. So La Boom Brunch is, uh, it was the last time they were doing it at the spot that we went to. Um, the, yeah, it was. It, yeah. was. it was the final showdown. So um, Matt and I have a wonderful friend in common, um, and he is a devil of debauchery. He really is. He is a manic poet and a amazingly wonderful person. He is kind and caring and generous and loving, and he has another side to him that is full of mayhem and mischief so we went along on that ride so he is in san francisco and came out for a visit and said i got tickets to this laboon brunch um do you want to go and i said yeah why not so um you wait in line it was hot sweaty we get inside um this is like dc's craziest brunch by far and it's early and everybody's you know probably still a little drunk or whatever so um they lock you in a room and they Pull all the shades, and you, in theory, eat. But I mean, I don't. Can you remember what we ate? Uh, no. Uh, yeah, the food was not why you were there. It was. <laughs> they had one rule, which was if you're going to dance, dance in your chair or mm-hmm. dance on the table. It was something yeah. weird like that. Yeah, it was. Don't dance, basically, where you can fall down and break something or hurt something. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, take off whatever clothing you want. Um, they draw the shades down. Yeah. Nobody's allowed in or out once the doors are closed yeah so that's the deal and they also make it very clear that once you leave this is the type of brunch it is they make it clear that by the time you leave they've made it uh, abundantly obvious to anyone else in the neighborhood that you've gone to this brunch yeah by stamping you all <laughs> over and stuff and you're not allowed into any of those places so if you go across the street to jack rose they will not let you in 
and oh, it's like a thing. Yeah, it's it, a thing. Yeah, you've but been, once you you've leave, been branded. Once you leave, the scarlet letter, and everyone's tumbling out and like sweaty and see through wet clothes. It it becomes abundantly apparent why yeah. they've put that into practice. It's very clear. Yeah. yeah. So nonetheless, we danced, we drank, uh, we sang, we watched lots of. Um, artists who took off their clothes yeah, and had nipple yeah. tassels and uh, chains and whips and things like that. And here we are. And now yeah. we're back <laughs> for, for a really good egg. Yeah, edition. this is Le Boom Part 2. <laughs> exactly. Alexia, do you mind just drawing the shades? Eddie and I are going to get weird. Mid-afternoon Le Boom. We, wanna, we want steam on these windows. Yeah, I will say, though, that at this time of the day after Le Boom, I believe I had checked out. Yeah, I believe that's fair. My last drink had been consumed, and I was about to stumble upstairs. Is the last thing I remember. Well, before we dig into too much, Eddie, what should we do a little uh, week in recap? Yeah, let's talk about what's been going on this week. So big news in DC. A lot of lot of stars. Stars. Around. Uh, there are stars in town. Drake. <laughs> Drake was in town a couple of nights ago. Uh, Anne Hathaway. She was over at La Dip the other night, apparently. Interesting. Yep. Did she uh, LeBron was in town, too. Who was? LeBron. Ah. For the Drake concert. Okay. That makes sense. Uh, but the stars we're referring to, uh, we don't care about stars here, um, are, are the Michelin stars. Uh, they made their announcements. Uh, last week, they did Bib Gourmand, and then recently, they did the stars. We just received... DC is now has its first three-starred Michelin restaurant, the Inn of Little Washington. Congrats, Chef Patrick O'Connell. Yep. So many big ups and yeah. well-deserved congratulations. Yeah. Uh, I, saw, I saw they also celebrated their 40th anniversary. Yes, it's been a really uh, extraordinary um, month for the Inn. Um, they did the first party at the Inn at Mount Vernon. I'm sorry, at Mount Vernon, excuse me. Um, and it was a sit-down dinner. There was a big reception beforehand. Uh, I led the wine team for that. And it was as unbelievably gorgeous and amazing and well-executed as you could imagine. Yeah. Um, Patrick also handed out medals for new culinary uh, culinary champions. Ah, cool. And uh, my mentor, Larry Stone, was one of them, as was Jose Andreas. And it was a really amazing collaboration of people who are past and present employees. Larry Stone, is that from Rubicon? Yes, yep, and now he has his own uh, winery, Lingua Franca, in okay. the Eola Amity Hills of uh, the Willamette Valley. Um, and it was a multi-course dinner beforehand. There was reception, champagne, and cocktails, and deliciousness. This and is what you were doing last couple this months? This was in June. June, okay. This was in June, yep. Um, and, um, or July, excuse me, it was July. Um, and then afterwards, there was a big uh, firework show um, out on the Potomac and Hell yeah. you know, just music and every I mean it was unbelievable to be standing with with Larry who's one of my closest friends but also with his closest friends Danielle Balud and Jose Andreas and everybody just marveling and ooing and aahing like their children yeah. and at one point a gentleman behind us said oh this for a restaurant and Danielle turned around and said it's not just any restaurant yeah. <laughs> um, and it was amazing because it was everybody coming together exactly how Patrick wanted to be at the end, which yeah. was as friends, as companions, as revelers. Yeah. And that's what he wants to create when you're there. And it's what he's created for the past 40 years. So, um, and then the next event, uh, was in stock, okay. which was, that was two Sundays ago. That was uh, a collaboration again with past and, uh, with past, uh, chefs where everyone came in and had a booth around what's called the field of dreams, which is the field and behind the, the tavern shops that go out to the pasture 
and everyone had their own booth and they did one of their signature dishes that they awesome. had made and there were breweries and wineries and um, impersonators and people singing all, and dancing all the and things balloon rides and all the things uh, it seemed like there's like a bunch of collaboration Michelin dinners last week too with the roses doing the one star and then Pine yes. Pearls doing the two star Yes, and that was kind of the lead up to the whole. It was a big Michelin week. That yeah, we, uh, we all wanted to. Uh, Bresca, celebrate. congratulations. Uh, Bresca and someone else. Sorry, who else? Oh man, that's on you. Now I'm now I'm a jerk. <laughs> uh, also, this week, uh, Tail Up Goat announced their uh, their new concept uh, coming right across the street from the Line Hotel. Much to my chagrin, it will not be called yeah. Club Tug. It will be called Club Payless Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it is going in the Payless Shoes uh, space. I hope they get rid of that typical Payless Shoes smell out of the store. Can you? I don't know. I guess we're going to find out. They I might, feel like they might, vinyl they might work the wine program around yeah, that smell. That has to oh, get yeah. signed into the lease, I think, that if somebody takes it over, they have to be able to. I feel like you could probably pair some us. really fun orange wines uh, <laughs> around that. But uh, Bill Jensen will be at the helm uh, doing their beverage program, and then John will obviously be pumping out his... Usually uh, awesome, awesome fare, food fare. Uh, we do have a new restaurant opening tonight, St. Anselm from the Steven Star Group. Uh, Big up to Margie. Yes, yeah, yeah. by uh, Marjorie Meeks Bradley. Uh, you need to come on the show. I've asked you for, very, for several months already. I'm sure she's definitely Margie, listening do it. right now. Do it. Yeah, she's definitely uh, it's going to be great. It's a faux, like a, kind of like a faux steakhouse, so you can get all the proteins and other non-proteins on the menu. All the delicious Excited. vegetables and I'll be, wonderfulness. Uh, I'm going to be a jerk and actually have dinner there tonight. So <laughs> the first I will, night. I'll see you there. A uh, couple pop-ups tonight. Yep. Uh, Speeda. Aspita has a pop-up, and uh, archipelago. and Archipelago has a pop-up. Archipelago, Todd Thrasher, who th- does a bar program here at the Line Hotel, will be at uh, Archipelago Thrasher doing rum. tiki drinks, pre- uh, previewing his new yeah. tiki bar. And then we have two uh, visitors from Chicago uh, over at Aspita doing drinks and food there as well. Yeah, so go check it out. Uh, White Castle. This is like the biggest news of the day. This is his. This is your to your heart. White Castle is now offering uh, <laughs> vegan Impossible Burgers nationwide, and it's being promoted by none other than the Wu Tang Clan. <gasps> eating, they uh, ain't nothing to fuck with. Yeah, exactly. And they're eating sliders in space in the promotion. So, have you ever had an Impossible yeah. Burger, Jen? I I am embarrassed to say I haven't, but I'm not embarrassed to say I'm going to. Pretty good. I have not yet either, actually. Uh, I'm excited too, though. They're pretty good. I'm sorry, but anything the Wu Tang Clan is willing <laughs> to promote, I am easily worked into. Jen, you might not know this, but I uh, once studied under the same kung fu master as the <gasps> Shaolin team. Shaolin. Yeah, uh, no big deal. How many chambers of death do you have? Yeah, <laughs> it's just one. I only studied for a month. <laughs> Um, Being the Asian guy here, I'm so out of my element. (laughs) (laughs) You were born with a chamber of death. Don't worry about it. You're good. Um, Actually, let's talk about what we're drinking. Yeah, this is going down way too smooth. This is a... Well, Jen. Um, So I am a big fan of vermouths. Um, Not because I'm all fancy and shit, but because I don't drink uh, hard liquor very often, as exhibited by the La Boom Brunch. Yeah, that was um, the last time. There's a reason why <laughs> I, I try to keep my toes out of that pool. Um, but also, it's it's just, I, I drink wine for a living, and so I'm accustomed to kind of a certain alcohol level, and it's what my body has become accustomed to. So vermouth is something that I really, really love. Uh, Carpano Antica is my favorite, and um, my good buddies, um, 
know that if I'm coming to join them, that that's normally what they can order me. Right and on. I drink uh, Carpano Antica with soda and an orange peel. Uh, flamed sometimes if oh. the bartender is uh, is up to it. Um, but I will tell you, I normally do drink double Carpano okay. with the same <laughs> amount of soda. Um, but uh, my best friend, Thea Rutherford, uh, always has a bottle in his fridge it's delightful. for me to have when I come Vanilla, over. vanilla forward, I would say. Very vanilla forward if you yeah, compare it to... Yeah, caramely and orangey. Yeah. And, yeah. That's awesome. Um, actually, I just want a quick question. You said that you're... At, your palate is is accustomed to a certain level of alcohol mm-hmm. now that since you're, you're you're a wine person that's an interesting thing to say because that, does that mean you don't stray you try not to stray too far let's say hard liquor or it just doesn't agree with me very much like if i was to take a shot of bourbon i would feel like shit in the morning um and it's just something as i've gotten older that i've become accustomed to i think when people drink um a certain spirit regularly it's something that they're accustomed to. And since I, I mean, I taste spirits for a living and, you know, for my job. So it's certainly something that I am, that I can taste and that I can appreciate and that I can kind of break down. It's just not something that I enjoy imbibing for myself, like just to sit down and throw back a drink. Sure. That but might, like Carpano yeah. Antica, Beer Conquina, Bonal, um, all of the Cokies, the Coki Rosa. I oh, drink yeah. a lot of with uh, grapefruit, Velvet Falernum and gin during the summer so I do put a little gin in there um Cokie Torino and Cokie Americano um those are just all I, I like the flavor combinations I like I love the way vermouth shows its flavors yeah. and how it and how it adapts with other mixers I mean it really still has its pro, is prominent and like prevalent notes to it sure but it's so amiable to so many yeah. things so well, this is our second week in a row having uh vermouth We've done a lot of vermouth on this show. Yeah, we might be just we might be stuck doing vermouth. Well, I mean, yeah. I feel like it's a good idea. I've gave no, you, a, I just gave you a whole bunch of options yeah. for your next show. So. <laughs> it's awesome. You you may have just put the most eloquent way of saying that you shouldn't mix your spirits, <laughs> mix your liquors, yeah. which we, which I as a bartender tell people is total bullshit that you can mix it, but you just actually have almost changed my mind a little bit. Well, I, I think it's also <laughs> personal preference. You know, if if you want to put together, I mean, you want to take away the vesper. You want to say you shouldn't be having, you know, gin and vodka together? Like, oh, but like drinking over the course of a night when people say, like, oh, oh that. Oh, I've yeah, been don't do that. beer all night and I can't, I can't drink wine. No. Well, I mean, do what you like. Like, if you think about a tasting menu, <laughs> do what you like. Right, right. We're going right. to stay in the rap game right now. <laughs> um, so um, when I do tasting menus, I often incorporate beer, cider. I'll go from red wine to white wine to red wine and back all over again um, for our tasting menu and our 12-course long tasting format menu. Um, I actually do a cocktail at the end that mixes Mirabelle Eau de Vie from Trimbach, since it's Mirabelle, um, with uh, René Geoffroy Ratafia de de Champagne, which is a vin de liqueur. So vin de liqueurs are, you take grape must, you take grape juice, basically, and then you add brandy to it. So you just make boozy grape juice yeah. for all intents and purposes. Um, Flock de Gascogne and Armagnac and Pinot de Charente, which I think for some reason, Pinot de Charente has become this like big thing in the past few years. Is it, it's is it happening? I'm so well, happy Bartenders are always like, do you have any, do you have any Pinot in your drink? I'm like, do you mean Pinot? Is that what you're trying to say? Because <laughs> when you say Pinot de Charente, people know what you mean. It's right. kind of like saying, do you have cog in your drink? Did you mean cognac? Is yeah. that what you were trying to say? Yeah, um, actually, we have, we have that at Tail of Goat right now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the reason awesome. why is because it mixes so well. It it, does. it, it mixes like vermouth does. Yeah. They are unbelievable... 
blends and flavors to have. Um, and they're a little boozy and they're grapey and they keep that kind of grape style. So um, I digress. The cocktail is the uh, Mirabelle Eau de Vie, uh, Rene Geoffroy Ratafia de Champagne, um, and uh, Riflet Cremantel sauce on top. Ooh. And so I call it the Petit Four because one of that our is. Petit Fours is a uh, Mirabelle Plum Patafouille. So I removed that from their Petit Four selection yeah. and I put it on their drink. Uh, and I just kind of replicated it with those cool. with those flavors. Um, I'm going to put a glossary together after the show for all the French yeah. terms that we're going to throw around. <laughs> Keep doing it. We love it. We love it. But I will. Uh, yes. Um, it's, all, it's all French to me. Um, well, we kind of like to uh, get to know our guests by a little game we call, well, I guess everybody calls it this, Two Truths, One Lie. <laughs> Two Truths, One Lie. Moments before the show, I asked you to prep this question. Just moments, so this is off the cuff. <laughs> We're playing jazz. What do you got? All right. Um, in college, I started a small cafe called the FCK, FCK Cafe, and the tagline was, it ain't nothing without you. In the middle of service once, <laughs> I sliced open my leg and had to tape oh. it together oh. with duct tape oh. and then hold it together until an ambulance came to bring me to the hospital. Oh, I don't like that one. And while I was standing up holding it together, I asked people if they needed any wine recommendations. Oh. <laughs> I can't. I hate <laughs> slice flesh anything. Is believable. Very uh, yeah, believable. And I was taught about booze by, um, by priests. All right, so here's the thing. Jesuit Brothers. Courts of the Master, Master Courts of the Master Sommelier? Is that what it's called? Court of Master Court Sommeliers. Of Masters. I imagine them being uh, hooded figures spitting into cups and, and slurping. <laughs> <laughs> They're just guys who drink too much wine, have pins on their lapels. <laughs> it's a lot of work that goes into yes, that, that's for yes. sure. Um, they also have their notes and books all the time. Yeah. Um, Brethren. I'm saying the but, third one's a lie, actually. Because I feel like the lie, we asked her on the fly. Did you bring the, um, the punishment shot? No, I didn't. Okay. I promised last time, too. I forgot. We'll, we'll, you guys can just drink the rest of that, that yeah. Carpano out of the yeah. bottle. We'll, <laughs> That's fair. We'll just head that. Oh, man. We'll ice ourselves with the <laughs> Carpano. Um, slicing your leg open. That one's true. That has to be yeah. true. Uh, opening up the cafe. Fine. Yes. Okay. Number three. Number three is a lie. You guys have been dancered. I just made that up. You I like mean, that? Yeah. Wait, so that is a lie. That's a lie. Oh, no, so no, that's a truth. Oh, no, no, that's, that's the truth. God damn it, my hopes got up. That's the truth. Uh, okay, so what was the lie? Uh, that I had a cafe called the FCK Cafe. Oh, God damn it. But however, <laughs> I did make up that name, and I've always wanted to open a bar called the FCK Cafe. It ain't nothing without you. Okay. But with the letter U, obviously. So yeah. it spelled the word fuck. You want me to keep going with this? I can explain. Yeah, that's, yeah well, we'll get, lay down some more of the concept. Um, so, yeah. So I, was, <laughs> so I was at Plume Restaurant one night and a wine, a water, very heavy uh, water bottle cracked on the floor, on the marble floor. A piece jumped up, cut through my pants like butter and uh, sliced open my leg. You can see the scar right there by my tattoozle. Um, and I wow. did indeed have to hold it together. And I very calmly said to one of the server, one of the captains, I said, um, Paul, can you do me a favor? Um, I can't stand up right now. I need you to go get our manager, Sean, and tell him I need duct tape. 
He's going to try to give you scotch tape. Tell him I said duct tape. And he said, why? And I let go of my hand. And he almost threw up and then ran. Yeah, so I tied a tourniquet to my leg. He came back with scotch tape. I said, okay, I knew this had happened. Now go get Sean. So Sean came out and I showed him. And he ran to get me duct tape. So I had tourniqueted it and I duct taped it together and I stayed very calm. And a woman across from me um, said, she stood up and came over and said, um, I think you're going to need to go to the hospital. And I said, oh, I'm pretty sure I am. She said, I could see inside your leg. Oh. <laughs> I said, yeah, me too. I'm, so the... Uh, the Alexia, I'm looking at Alexia in the booth. She's like... <laughs> Is covering her eyes. And I like, can't, but you know what's great is multiple times the same guests who I, who were there that night have followed me to other restaurants and their notes in their profile on Open Table said, saw inside Jen's leg. Gross. Like, and Gross. They, they still talk about it. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but the only negative part of the story. I can show you. <laughs> sliced right into my flesh. Oh, wow. This is our first duet. <laughs> I don't know the rest of the words. Okay. It's okay. So um, I did such a good job tourniqueting it and keeping it elevated that when the ambulance came, they were like on full alert because I where I caught it. And when I got into the ambulance and they cut the uh, the napkin off, it had completely stopped bleeding. And they said, "We, how did you do that?" I said, "Well, I just tourniqueted it and put it up. On, you know, I work in restaurants. Oof. People cut themselves all the time." So I waited uh, four and a half hours for somebody to see me in the in the waiting room. Even though when I got there, they're like, we have a room waiting for you. And then they said, well, she isn't bleeding anymore. Did you give your doctors any wine recommendations? No, I should have, though. I'll tell you that much. Um, And then the other one is I started my time in the culinary world at a Jesuit priesthood in uh, in the town I grew up in, in Cohasset. It was their summer home for Jesuit priests, or Jesuit brothers, who taught at the New England colleges. And that's where they went. I guess the the Jesuits are pretty known for their drinking. And and they're very, I mean, it's not... I don't want to say that they, you know, overindulge or anything like that. They're they're very moderate with what they do, but they really enjoy that part of their lives. They enjoy drinking and eating and and As having that experience. It can be celebrated. Yeah. yeah. So I worked with a, a Cordon Bleu trained chef who had studied at the Cordon Bleu in Paris, and I was 13 when I started working with her, and I slowly kind of became her her sous chef. So I learned how to turn it vegetables and make beautiful fruit tarts and every other type of thing make corpoyon and all that stuff so but one of my jobs was at 4 p.m i had to set up their uh, their bar for happy hour and i would set it up all pretty and then they would tell me no 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 you know you have to put the the two gins side by side and these two whiskeys have to go side by side and slowly they would tell me why they preferred canadian club and ah. why that one wanted crown royal and why do you drink sapphire and not just regular bombay and so when i got into the restaurant industry when i was 16 i knew more about booze and food than anyone in the restaurant so they started me as a hostess, and within two weeks, I was on the floor as a server. Awesome. Which was pretty great. That's awesome. Cool. Uh, you recently gave birth to a newly reminted Mirabelle. Mm-hmm. It was a rebirth. <laughs> How are you sleeping? So, you get much sleep these days? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's opening a restaurant. You know, in, in theory, I've opened three restaurants in a year and a half. So you'd never get used to it. It's a different dynamic and a different dialogue every time with your staff, with your guests, um, with trying to figure out the space and how it's going to grow and you know all of those growing pains that come with it. With the relaunch of Mirabelle, I was just very um, lucky to be in a space I had already become accustomed to. So I knew the way the dining room flowed. I knew how the seating worked. I knew the semantics of the kitchen. I mean, there were, there were so many things that I didn't have to become accustomed to. I just had to kind of 
become reacclimated. And this to. is based on your FCK concept, right? My FCK concept. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's one hundred percent correct. Yeah. yeah, it was always meant to be since I was. 19, it was yeah. meant to be a, a high-level, fine-dining, French-inspired restaurant. Yep. Awesome. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, from what I read, the menu is kind of designed to emulate the, the shared memories of both you and Chef Bamba. Yep, Keith Bamba. Uh, growing up in New England. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of folded in some classic French fare. Um, is this New England French fusion? Dare well, I say the F word? <laughs> it's totally fine. Um, I mean, French is fusion now. New, Fran- new French land. <laughs> yep. That's kind of what it's like. Um, I mean, growing up in New England, you, especially, uh, I'm 43, Keith is 29. So he's had a little bit more of uh, a culinary indoctrination when it comes to being in the city where people like Barbara Lynch, who, were, who, who was one of his mentors, was not as prolific as she is now in the culinary scene, being arguably one of the most important and famous chefs in our country. Um, I was still 40 minutes south on the South Shore of Boston, where it was baked chicken and uh, Elio's pizza, and you know you, you started barbecuing. Um, you started barbecuing from the time the snow melted until it started again. Um, it, 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 for me, I found out about food through working at the Jesuit at the at the Jesuit priesthood at the Bellamine House, and so for me. What became really interesting in my dynamic was, you know, I didn't grow up baking bread next to my grandmother or something like that. I mean, my mom was a, was a very good cook, but she also came from a, a New England South Shore background as well. Um, but I learned, you know, why does lobster taste so totally different when it's, you know, cooked this way than when we just throw it in a pot on the beach with seaweed in it? Sure. Is it cooking time? Is it, is it, is it the flavors? You know, cracked pepper. Oh, well, there's actually peppercorns. It's not just in, you know, in a little shaker bottle. Right, right, um, right. Leeks. Leeks were the most dynamic thing I ever learned. He really had the ability to do that from the beginning, going to cooking school. Sure. And then working into this new, new realm of uh, culinary ideology. So we've integrated some of our shared memories when it comes to where we came from and, and what we're accustomed to and what we see and also things that are beloved to us um you know for me fried clams is one of them it's my dad's favorite thing in the world he orders them everywhere he goes and when we were first talking about the menu i had said oh it'd be so cool if we could have fried clams i was really just thinking for like friends and family so i could have my dad have mm-hmm. fried clams and he said well how could we make it fine dining i said what if we do a duo so that's like that is that is a great example of the collaboration that we've been able to have this entire experience is okay that sounds cool but how do we do it okay that sounds like a really good idea but how would we how would we follow through on it and we were really able to do that from the first from the get-go of meeting he also has really integrated the staff into a lot of the conversation as well Um, so during the day the menu is more upscale French brasserie inspired. Okay. So we have the tart flambés, uh, yeah. which are classic Alsatian flatbread. Um, my very first fine dining job in San Francisco was with a gentleman named Adidas, uh, who is the namesake for Adidas. He yeah. is Adidas. Um, so his father owned Adidas, his brother owned Puma, and he decided to open a restaurant. Um, so it's where Quince is now in San Francisco. Ah, okay. um, yep, a block off of North Beach. And it was called MC Squared. And one of the things he was adamant about was building what we now think of as like a Neapolitan oven so he could make char flambe because that's, he's Alsatian and that's what right. he loves. So the first time I tasted it, I just thought it was the most unbelievable thing ever, like the snap of the raw onions and the smokiness, the bacon, the burnt, uh, the burnt sides of the, of the tart shells. Um, and so when we were talking about what was in the kitchen with Keith, some of them are bread baking ovens and they have, 
you know, the clay down, the marble down, they can get super, super, super hot. And right. I said, what if we just, what if we just tried it? And so they worked on a dough and put it together. And now we have what I think are, I mean, they're absolutely delicious. They're not as much of the burnt edges yeah. as you would see in a wood burning oven. Um, but the flavors are there and they are, they're just addictive. So sounds, sounds like your meetings are a lot more productive than Eddie and I's meetings. <laughs> they can be. It depends. It depends Ed, on when they're happening. Eddie and I, we, we meet to talk business and it, we usually get drunk first and then we write down ideas and it's, yeah, have a very terrible time of time doing it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds like a really good but, time. But, but you and, and, and Chef Bamba, it sounds like you got some uh, stuff ironed out. And, yeah. Uh, well, and he went on from working with, um, with Barbara Lynch to working with Granite Cats for three and a half years. So he went with them to open um, Alinea Miami, Alinea Madrid, and then 2.0. So he's had two very dynamic mentors that have really taught him not only the roots and the classics, but also how you can extrapolate into what I now think we think of as you know gastronomic fare. Sure. Uh, new gastronomy yeah. is kind of another term for it. And at dinner, that's where we have a bit more of a globally focused French menu. And the mentality behind that is that French cuisine has literally gone global. Yeah. Everywhere, everywhere you go in the world, someone has the basics of a classic to them. And it might not be their knife techniques. It might not be, you know, how they, how they julienne or whatever it might be. But almost everyone who has a high level of understanding of the culinary world has a French basis to them. Um, or someone has taught them that sure. from a French basis. So when you go to France and you're in Paris, you know, what you see more often than anything is the integration of so many different um, cultures and so many different types of, of cuisine. So Jean-Georges, you know, brought more of the Asiatic note to what we think of as classic French cooking. Yeah. Um, there's obviously the North African component in Paris. And now there's um, a lot of Middle Eastern influence. Yeah. So the Middle, the, Middle, the Middle Eastern influence has become really... Um, ingrained into how people are cooking now. So you see so many flavors like, you know, Ras Al Anoud and Zatara and Dukkha and a lot of different combinations you might not have seen 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we're going to step out for a second, yeah. uh, take a little break. Uh, you're listening to Shift Drink. We have Jen Knowles with us, and I'm Matthew Ramsey, and I'm sitting right next to Eddie Kim. Come back. <laughs>
right, welcome back to Shift Drink. We're, I'm sitting next to Matthew Ramsey. What's up? Carefully pouring soda water into my Carpano vermouth. <laughs> and uh, we're being joined by Jen Knowles, who, uh, GM of Mirabelle, talk, talking all things about restaurants and... and relaunches. Well, uh, relaunches, and, and I, I just want to jump right into it. Um, so I want to actually, I just remembered the, the second restaurant to get a, a one-star Michelin here in D.C. is Siren. Congratulations, Chef Wiedemeyer and all your team. That was, a, that was like a very dramatic pause. We like put that one on hold and came back to it. I know. It means extra special. <laughs> uh, so but yeah, Bresca and Siren both got one stars. Uh, with the relaunch of Mirabelle, I almost feel, in the way you describe it, I almost feel like you're, 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 you're stacking the deck to try to, you're aiming for that. You, you're, you're, you're aiming for the best food and the best service, and your, your service is, is, is impeccable. Uh, you're stacking the deck. You're, I mean, you're going for the Michelin. So what are you, how, how do you go about doing that? One part of what has grown in our culture, uh, in the cuisine culture, in the past 10 years, and maybe 15 years, has been the advent of so much communication about Michelin and ratings and stars and diamonds on uh, on the interweb. Um, everyone knows everything that's going on. Everybody's so plugged in. So with things like Chef Table and you know learning from these great American masters and and the masters around the world, there's so much influence that makes people so excited to try to emulate that. Sure. Where before you had to travel, you had to be in the know, and a lot of young chefs, it was stories. It was stories from their instructors. It was stories from their mentors. They didn't really have the opportunity to have that type of uh, example to follow. And now in the States, we have a revolution culinarily that is on foot with everything else in the world. And so you can go to New York or San Francisco or Chicago or wherever it might be and, and really see how you can change your own dynamic in a way that suits yourself. And the personality and the personalization of cuisine, I think is one of the most exciting things that has happened. Because like, like New Frenchland. Like New Frenchland, which you can find in Washington, D.C. now. 900, 916th Street, Northwest. Um, but when you are able to watch people talk about their stories, like Dominique Crenn, and the emotion and the passion and the feeling and get to know them as a person, you know, seeing her go through talking about the loss of her family, her, her father and um, how she named it for him and, and, and everything that went into that chef's table. I don't think anyone who cares about is passionate about anything could watch that and not walk away and say, I want to care that much. Right. It's a great episode yeah. of Chef's Table on, on Netflix uh, about her restaurant. Atelier, yeah. Atelier Crenn. Atelier Crenn, yeah. exactly. And Very it's, much rented in, are like rooted in sentimentality. Exactly. But a lot of these stories come from, I mean, Massimo Bruto, think about him. I mean, mm-hmm. people literally hated him. They wanted him out of the town. They wanted him to either cook grandma's food or get the fuck out. Yeah. And it took a chance detour of an inspector who got a flat tire to come in and say, this is some of the best shit that's being made. And that changes the world. And we were talking about you know, the Michelin bump, how that, how that can affect you. Um, but when you have these people who have toiled endlessly to hone their craft, have given up everything, have tried and tried and tried and been told over and over again, it's too avant-garde, it's too intensive, it's too this, it's too that, but yet they keep moving forward and they keep trying to better themselves. For a young chef or, or anyone who's aspiring to get into the game, 
those people are now your mentors. Right. You might have your own physical mentor in front of you, but there's now a whole genre of people who are pseudo mentors. And whether they know it or not, and luckily a lot of them do and are very thankful to, be, to play that part, they have brought a whole new vision of what can be done to our world. And so when you have someone like Grana Katz, who has pushed boundaries and, you know, surviving cancer and everything that he and Nick Kokonis have done in terms of revolutionizing our industry. Um, it, it is something that brings a whole nother level of experiential technique to people. They can watch it. They can do it. But 15, 20 years ago, I mean, that wasn't, that wasn't available. I mean, I think about yeah. studying wine. When I first started studying wine, there, there was no internet. Right. We had to buy books. And I, had to, I literally had a North Face camping backpack. And I would traverse from San Francisco back home to Boston with like 60 pounds of books in my, in, on my back. This and, episode of Shift Drink brought to you by North Face. <laughs> and old ladies. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's something that we now have all of this information in our pocket. And of course, that goes into every frame of our lives. But when it comes to specifically what's happening in terms of Michelin and better and better and better restaurants, it's because you either have to be passionate about what you do and really, really work that and show it, or you're going to stay back. Yeah. You're, you're going to toil away. Now, we, we, see, we see the restaurants changing quite a bit. The whole restaurant scene, especially in America, has changed. And it's very, very different from what you see in Italy and what you see in France. And then it's completely different from what you see in, in Tokyo. And they... Um, and you know Japan and and we just had a guest from San Sebastian. Those are mm-hmm. powerhouses yep. in the in the Michelin rating system. But can you imagine but, that? Can you imagine that San Sebastian is a powerhouse? It's tiny, tiny little town that's so hard to get to that no one knew about other than beaches. Right now, you cannot bring up Michelin or food yeah. without mentioning them. Mm-hmm. That's what's changed. Um, but do we do we see any changes in how Michelin is approaching their own rating system and? Or, or, or is it just is it rock hard foundation that everyone has to kind of Well, follow? I went off on a crazy tangent, so I'm going to try to bring it back to your original question yeah. <laughs> about Mirabelle. Um, obviously, I get a little passionate about it too. Um, there's two ways you can really look at opening a restaurant, and of course, there are a myriad of other mentalities. But when you're looking at a restaurant at a higher level, it's do I want to get a Michelin star, four stars from the local critics, nationwide? you know, acclaim and review, or do I want to open a restaurant that I'm going to love? Now, sometimes those two things are disparate. Often they overlap. And you hope that doing something that you love is going to translate into getting that acclaim. However, I mean, it's a tipping point. We we don't know why some places excel and some people don't. I mean, a lot of it really is fate. It's did somebody walk in at the right time? Did a guest who has some type of influence feel connected to you? And one of the things that we're trying to do at the restaurant is really inspire a feeling of storytelling. Now, I tell my staff all the time, I didn't wake up one morning and realize, oh my gosh, I know how to teach people how to have great service. I mean, I hope every day I'm able to inspire people to give great service and to feel excited about giving great service, but it's because I got mentored. It's because I had unbelievable mentors who took the time to teach me and to be hard on me and to be, you know, patient, but also kind of be assholes. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's like, if you have a standard that you need to be met and you're not willing to shake that standard, 
you have to hold people accountable and holding people accountable unfortunately is not comfortable all the time Oof, it can be really not, really yeah. difficult people hold grudges they're pissed at you they're like fuck this i'm getting out of here but that's not the type of person you want to stay anyways you want the person who says at the end of the night i'm so sorry tonight was not my night i really think I slipped on a couple things. I promise I'll be back tomorrow and I'll do better. And I have a couple servers who do that to me a lot. And I mean, not a lot because they don't mess up very often, but they really have that like connection that they're willing to admit that like, I'm sorry, I fucked up, but tomorrow I, I'm going to learn from this. I'm not going to let this happen again. And I always tell people I want them to be kind. I want them to be caring. I want them to be attentive. I need them to be confident. I need them to be knowledgeable. And that really comes from working with Patrick and yeah. him saying that, you know, Patrick O'Connell's, after 40 years of, it makes no sense that that place happened. But somebody, John Rawson came in and loved it and said, I'm going to write about it. And then it took off. And because he had experienced Relay and Chateau culture, as a teenager and a young man being invited into these into these restaurants and these inns and being treated like he was family even though he was in you know ratty shoes and a backpack yeah. there's nothing greater for him than to, to make people feel that way as often as possible and for me once you get a taste of it it is exhilarating yeah. it's like once you are given the pass to do anything possible to make someone happy you can't go back from there because you're just constantly disappointed and when you get to empower people with the sense of ability to do that, it makes them shine. It makes them happy. So in the front of the house, I'm just really looking to make people happy and let them know that we're there for them, that without them, we couldn't do this. Now, that's obviously the truth, but a lot of people don't think of it that way. In the back of the house, Keith is obviously, you know, unbelievably in in my in my very humble opinion um incredibly talented and excited he's had these amazing mentors and he went on to the barston harbor hotel and did a lot of great changes there unfortunately they just weren't all that ready for it but it, it worked out for me because i was able to bring him to dc and to watch how he has translated his visions into these dishes we say very often if you try to get an award you're, you're doing something wrong. Right. You should be doing what you're doing to the best of your ability and hope that doing it the right way, people notice it. That's why it happens. It's kind of like enlightenment in Buddhism. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I've been told, like, I'm, I'm aiming for a Michelin star and then they get it. And then, sure. like, yeah, and, and it's not like they're doing something wrong, but sometimes I almost feel like there's a weird disparity between the perfection that people expect and are aiming for in a Michelin star restaurant. And some of the, some of the restaurants that we love to go to all the time. I mean, Matthew, you work at tail up goat, you have the Michelin star and the service there does feel like you're part of the family, but there are a bunch of other places that kind of, they do the exact same thing. And we, we all kind of shake our heads. It's like, what's, what's, what's going on. And then, and then we hear about sometimes, um, like, like, uh, a couple of spots in Asia, I think in Singapore, which is basically kind of, uh, like a carryout restaurant exactly. that gets a Michelin star. What about the Michelin star food truck in LA? Yeah, exactly. It's like what? Or the four star, not Michelin star. The four star food truck. Yeah, and it's 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 what 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 are people now? We're in this inflection point. Like, mm -hmm. what? Where are we going towards now? Right. Yeah. And what I we're in a very different cultural time than we are than we were when the French ideology of Michelin was at its apex. Yeah. You know, when you think about Bernard Loiseau, um, 
who was arguably one of the greatest French and just chefs in general that the world has seen. (laughs) And to know the burden that he had given to himself regarding his Michelin stars and the unfortunate act of him taking his own life or losing one or the idea of losing one um you know patrick talked about him a lot because he cooked in the kitchen with patrick and his wife came and cooked with patrick and when you see the amount of stress that getting to that level can put on someone right i think we've we're moving to the point of where the love of what you're doing and the passion about what you're doing michelin has accepted and is looking towards it's not about your million dollar bathroom it's not about your hand-painted you know wallpaper whatever it might be there are places that are garnering unbelievable attention and acclaim because they are to their core genuinely extraordinary yeah and when you go to the inn part of it that is amazing is is looking around you know that's that's part and parcel of being there it's not only the journey out there and the anticipation and everything that you think about going out there but when you get out of your car how you feel when you walk into the dining room when you get led up to your room when you walk outside when you go for tea everywhere you go there's somebody who's smiling who, who's excited you're there who cares about you being there it's very funny that you say that i was trolling your instagram account and you put up a poster a uh, picture of honey jars Oh them, yeah, and their little smiley faces on the uh, yep. on the on the poor the poor things on yep. the honey jars and whimsy whimsy I think like true whimsy not doing it just for the sake of doing right. it but like doing like I said in my Instagram post it makes me so happy like whimsy it's so whimsical um, but it's having the understanding that you're doing it for the beauty of what's around you I can say that I've been in you know I spent three and a half years at the end and there was never a time I walked in there and thought, why is that there? I mean, I'd move chairs because I wanted to put something there and Patrick would walk in and say, that chair has been there for 35 years. Why do you think suddenly you can move it? (laughs) That's part of the set. Like, why are you doing that? But it makes sense. I mean, it totally makes sense. He's also someone that if he's gone for a week and we, we would scour the dining room and scour the inn to see if there were any imperfections. And we were like, we got it this time. We got it. And then he'd walk into the dining room and he'd immediately walk over to a lampshade and fix it and be like, really, you couldn't see that? Like, oh, come that, on, Dad's come back. on. But that's because it's his heart, it's his soul, it's, it's in him. Yeah. He literally breathes that. And for people who are involved in what they love, they're breathing it too. That's what's really being seen now. I think that's what's really being felt is that going into a restaurant with starch linens, with you know, people in tuxedos with, you know, the most glorious cheese cart and all that stuff. That's that should never go away. That should never go away. My cousins and my cousin and her husband are in France right now and they're sending pictures and, and it just makes me so jealous. Love me a cheese cart. I know. Yeah. Um, well, we're getting to that point in the show <laughs> where we uh, should probably start wrapping up a little bit. Um, we do have one uh, little game we want to play with you. We call it Rapid Fire. Time for the payback. Rapid fire. Fire. You know that that's very disconcerting and it makes it confusing when we're about to play rapid fire. Is that the idea? (laughs) Uh, Maybe, yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, All right, so these are just kind of tip of the tongue, whatever comes to your mind first. Uh, Favorite local winemaker in the DMV? Hmm. Michael Shapps. Shaps, yeah. I, and I have to say that also. I mean, I have so many. I love Virginia wine so much, and I've been the luckiest person to get to work in the industry. But after 
dozens and dozens and dozens of blind tastings. It's now kind of a joke that if I get wicked excited about a wine, it's probably Michael's wine. He makes a mean beignet. Yep. And as Petit Men sang, and yeah. I pour a lot of his wines by the glass. They're fantastic. But I, I, I love I love all of you guys. I'm super sorry. Luca, I love you. <laughs> if money <laughs> all the shadows. was not an issue, what bottle of wine would you splurge on? Uh, Charve, Charve Hermitage Cuvée Catalan 1990. Oof. Oof. Write that one down. Overrated wine trend? Trends. <laughs> and you know, it's funny. Um, David Metz from Plume uh, was saying that as well. And when I read it, I was like, yes. Um, I think that being in a, in a situation where there's so much individual, there's so much individuality in what everybody does. Um, just let people do what they're going to do if they love to do it. But trying to eschew anything, high alcohol levels, enzymes, fermentation techniques, barrels, whatever it might be, um, that's like trying to say that people can't make burgers a certain way. Can you imagine that, Matt? Whoa. Can you whoa, imagine it? Just what if somebody phone. said that? <laughs> Only pickles, onions, lettuce, and ketchup. It'd be terrible. Don't put me in a box, man. <laughs> so um, I, I just think people should drink what they love. And they should be really happy. They should be really excited to ask questions to people who seem like they're really excited to give answers. Sure. So not being a dick is a bad. Yeah, don't trend. be a dick. Like this is wine. Like a dick. Yeah, I think that's yeah commonplace. Like have some fun with it. I've heard that so many times from Smallies lately. Actually, so. Well, I think there was a categorization. Talk about being put in a box. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, I I think because of my jovial nature, um, I've been lucky to. I'm not very different on the floor than I am here except that i don't swear on the floor very often do you wear a pin on the floor um, nope i'm an advanced level psalm and i do not wear my pin um when i first opened mirabelle i i asked that no one wore their pin because i wanted everyone on the same playing field and if somebody loves wine and cares about wine and wants to take the time to study the list and study the producers i want them to be asked for even if they're in a server uniform um or as a bartender i don't want it to be I'm going to ask the highest level pin. Now, I also have been tested since 2009. So my focus has been very strongly on the lists that I'm working with and service. Now that I've transitioned into running restaurants versus running wine programs, sure. I'm still always you know, helping run the wine program too. Um, I just do an enormous amount of work that way. So I don't want to necessarily... I think the Court of Master Sommelier is, is an amazing... Um, is, an, is an amazing organization. There's people who have spent their whole lives studying and wanting to become a master sommelier. It gives them focus. It gives them a drive. It gives them an, an inordinate sense of accomplishment. Um, it just wasn't something that was continued to be part of my, my future. Uh, what was the last meal you cooked for yourself? <sighs> the last meal, do I have to cook it start from finish? Uh, it could be microwave. Yeah. That's one of our questions. Yeah. Too. Microwave can be included in that. Okay, what I mean is, um, <laughs> so um, I, the chef, uh, when they cook duck, when they cook off duck breasts, um, they will save them for me, because I love eating duck, and uh, I will go home at the end of the night and slice it very thinly and season it, and then cook it, um, but for me, I'd say the last meal that I cooked was barbecuing, and it was for my best friend Casper's son's Mason's birthday, and my nephew Theo's birthday. And we, I got two burns from it, which you can see right here, uh, because I had a whole pan of corn that I burnt myself on. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I love to cook at home, but I'm a, I'm a simplistic cook. When well, it's it comes tough to you. I mean, we just talked about you, you work six days a week, you know, 
that doesn't usually involve going to the grocery store and and I, I really just like cooking with everybody around. Yeah. And sometimes when you're too intensive in what you're doing, people might be watching you, but you're not engaged with them. And I, I just want to, I mean, obviously I like to talk, so there you go. All right. Should we do a little Mary Fuck Kill? Well, I wanted to ask my usual question. All right. Eddie has yeah. one question that he wants to ask. <laughs> uh, your deathbed meal. Um, just in general? Well, let's your, say you're dying tomorrow. Your final meal. Final meal. Oh my god! I mean, I fried clams. Well, I vacillate between um, fried chicken and French fries and onion rings and uh, fried whatever. Fry this microphone. I don't care if it's good batter. Um, but I think <laughs> <laughs> probably uh, hot duck on duck on duck action. Ooh. So uh, seared, perfectly seared duck breast, crispy skin, perfectly rendered um, duck confit and uh, seared foie gras. Wow! And if I could get a press, I would of course want the press. I love press. And yeah. I would drink that. With the 1990 shot of Cuban Catalan. Oh, there we go. <laughs> da, 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 da. That's okay. yeah. hot duck on duck on duck. Some fancy wine. All right. And for our final game, we call this one Mary. Mary. Fuck. Kill. 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 <laughs> yes, okay. Mary. Kill. I hate, I hate this Remix. game, FYI. Oh, good. Uh, like, I think I like it in private. I'm not so sure what to say in public. So we're doing Restaurant Trends Edition. Mm. High-end Restaurant Trends Excellent. Edition. High-end oh, Restaurant Oh, actually, not necessarily. Um, I just kind of threw these together off of a list. So, Mary Fuck Hill between tableside push carts. And I'm not talking about cheese carts because cheese carts are forever in my heart. Wait, do you mean like State Bird? In San Francisco, like doing dim sum? No, well, I, I, it seems to be a trend where everybody's doing carts these days. Yeah. Okay, but you mean like fancy Ghirardon service, not like Sturbrio's awesome dim sum service. Ghirardon, dim sum. I think it. I think it all. I would say it all falls in the same category because okay. a lot of people are re- replicating dim sum service in their own kind of in their own way. fashion. Guacamole yes. cart. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I've seen it. I've seen it. FCK, FCK Cafe cart. Tableside martinis. You yeah, know, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean. Yeah, I gotcha. Push guards. Um, ghost restaurants. What is that? So those are restaurants that are opened with the sole purpose of uh, takeout and to-go orders, but they're still kind of on the higher end of things. Like, do they work with Uber Eats or something? I might a lot. Either. Well, yeah. What's an example of this? Uh, 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 I'm trying. There's nothing in DC, actually. Uh, okay. I'm trying to think. <laughs> can I just kill that one on yeah, off the? You can off, kill that one. I okay. literally hate yeah. that idea. Okay. Yeah. I just really like it, the name of it. Do you know what it is? It's legitimately uh, Little Caesars for high end food. Ah, high end. yeah. 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 Pizza, pizza. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's but, a, it's a brilliant model, but I'd still kill it's it. It's a great model, and you know they have their arguments that it's you know. Oh, well, insurance-wise, all of that, like, it's a dream. That's why Little Caesars flew off the shelves, Uh, because they don't have any Eden. So the insurance that they have to pay for Eden is gone. That's why they can charge five bucks for pizzas. This is why you get paid the big bucks. You know these things. And food halls. Hmm. Um, I would kill the ghost thing. I would kill the ghost thing. Um, I I think I might, you know, as long as the cart service made sense, and it it would have to fit. Like, it can't be, like, a janky cart that's, like, clink, 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 and it can't not fit at the tables. 
people have to be able to get by it. I know these are caveats, but I'm sorry, I got to do it. No, you know, you're, you're, um, you're, you're thinking about service so, constantly. So, you're setting up so the like, perfect one night stand so with like, push cards. Exactly. Like you, it has to make sense. It has to fit into the space physically. It has to be a well-maintained, visually appropriate vehicle. And people who serve off it have to really know how to serve off it. Sure. I'd marry it. Okay. Oh, oh. marriage. Is there a marriage sound effect? Uh, Megan Alexia struggle again. <laughs> I can show you the world. Uh, and I'd fuck them food halls. All right. Fuck the food halls. Okay. I just think that it's a great idea. I think when done correctly, it's something that is a really exciting opportunity for people who don't have the chance to go out to dinner all the time. And when you can put the right places, when you can put the right people in the right place, you offer a larger amount of people the ability to feel like they're involved and that they are part of something. Where very often people with kids or who live too far away or whatever it might be, feel really relegated to a certain type of dining. And when you can bring it to a food hall and make it work, I think you also on the restaurant ownership side, you build a whole base of clients who now want to come to your real restaurant. Right. To if your brick and mortar. You know, yeah, yeah, to your single brick and mortar. Uh, quickly, is there one that you like? I mean, I always, I always go, I always go with Italy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think okay. that it's the best, but I think it's the best model. I think it is. How yeah. about that? Mm-hmm. I think it's the best model. It's most, most easily replicated. And I think that it's something that they put so much time, effort, and thought into. And the way that it was actually launched and then operated was, was fantastic. There are cracks and it was hard and all that. But I mean, think about the dynamics of dealing with that many people in Oof. one space with that many things that could go wrong. Like you have to, you it's have to have a worst funny. case scenario it's not list. It's funny when you hear the numbers. Yeah. The worst case scenario list for that place is is massive but if you can tick one off piece by piece by piece by piece that's a success all right well uh, we're on our way out thanks for joining us this week thank you for having me it was really fun Uh, everyone who's listening thank you for joining us you can revisit us um, in this week's episode and previous episodes on iTunes and wherever you grab your podcasts we're also on Spotify make sure you check us out and find us on all social medias at at as at shift drink DC uh, send us any questions you might want to have. Show us uh, hashtag show us your shifty. We want to see your shift drinks. Uh, don't forget to throw us a review on iTunes as well. All of, all of the mothers like us. A uh, special thank you to Jeffrey Lamaru for our intro music and DJ Rec Tech for those red sound effects. And next week, Bill, Miller, uh, Bill Murray joins us uh, in the studio. Discuss like his Bill, new- Bill Murray, Bill Murray? The Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Can I stand outside? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm a past guest now, right? They're, they're, well, he's going to discuss his new uh, collaboration with Snoop Dogg. They're oh doing, I guess God. they're doing cleaning products. Uh, it's called Bliach. Bliach. Yep, 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 yep. And you also need your umbrella for drizzle. Just yeah. so you know. Just FYI. Um, and come, uh, come see us at Mirabelle. Uh, come to the bar. We got yes. bar bites. We have uh, lovely tasty nibbles as well as in the restaurant, uh, 916th Street on the corner of I Street Northwest. Great. Yeah. Yeah. And we will Thank get you. The, uh, the Mirabelle cocktail. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. 
Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.